Do you know what deflogo means? Anybody? I got teachers in here, educators. Never heard of it. That is because I made that word up. Because there's not a word for words that have had their meanings changed over the years. Think about it for a second. Like, the word thong is a deflogo. The kids won't understand that, but the adults know what thong used to mean. I used to wear them on my feet. The kids are like, what? They're now called flip-flops. And thong is something else. Uh, here's one that's kind of bad, but you know the word fizzle. You know what fizzle means, right? Like when something fizzles out, just kind of like, well, that was actually meant as a silent flatulent. So that's why it fizzles out. Sorry, I'm just saying words change over time. Uh, the word clue actually used to mean a ball of yarn. But what they would do when they go through mazes, they would take the yarn and they would like wind it through the maze and it would become their clue to get out of the maze. So now clue means something totally different. Uh, naughty. Long ago, you either had nothing or not. But now it's turned into something that is more evil or distasteful. Uh, the word meat. If you had meat and drink, it used to just mean food. That's what meat just covered the whole. Anything that was edible was called meat. Now it's changed to basically animals, not vegetables and things like that. So words change over time, right? You with me? Try to keep up with today's words and a generation that is constantly redefining words, redefining meanings. It's hard. Like, I, I struggle with what not to say and what to say in this society. I'm, you know, kind of old school, and I'm like, ah, you know, forget that. But then... If you don't use these terms, then you get put aside or you get shamed or because you're not in the know. So as I say this, deflogo, I want you to think about this as I teach this passage of Scripture today. It's, look, it's camp day. I get it. Everybody's here. Everybody's excited. And I'm teaching Colossians 3 because that's where we are. And it's talking about these relationships. It's talking about the husband and a wife, the parent and the child, and the master and the slave. Three important relationships. And it's not only talked about here in Colossians, but it's talked about in Romans. It's talked about in 1 Peter. It's talked about several different places in relationships. Paul talks about these relationships and the importance of them. These relationships are what keep counselors today in business. Think about that for a second. The husband and wife, the parent and the child, the master and the slave. They keep counselors busy. So here we go. Let's pick up 
Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now, here's one of those words, the flogo, that's absolutely changed over the years. You say submit now, and everybody's like, whoa, ain't doing that. And I'm not just talking about wives. I'm just talking about everybody. Like, I have my own authority, and I, I have a trub, trouble submitting. I don't think that the definition of the word has changed. I think people's opinions of the word has changed in our society. In Webster, it says, Submit is to yield to governance or authority. Submission is really a call to recognize and respond to a God-ordained authority. Believe it or not, my God, your God, is a God of authority. And he has order. He believes in order. He's a God of order, not chaos. We live in a world of chaos, but that's because we live in a godless world sometimes. I heard uh, a wife married 61 years say, I let him lead our family, although I had great influence on him. <laughs> this is where, you know, that whole change comes into to play, the, the thought. The word submit, especially in the context of wife to husband, is totally being changed in our world. All of a sudden, submission is a bad thing that doesn't create equality. When we talk about submission here in this relationship, we're not talking about being equal. Because the scripture says we are equal. Man and woman are equal. Husband and wife are equal. So to take the word submission and say, well, one's greater than the other, that's not true. It's a ranking just like they have in the military. A lieutenant and a private are equal in who they are as a person. But they have rank and authority to create order. It does not imply inferiority. In fact, you go back to the very first book, the second chapter, Genesis chapter 2, and it says, we're one flesh. Husband and wife are one flesh. We're together on this. Michelle and I are together on this. Submission does not diminish equality or destroy the dignity of the wife. But yet, in our society, it's greatly impacting that relationship. Look, Christ himself is a perfect example of submission. Think about it. He's equal with God, yet he submits himself to God. Like, if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us, right? You sit there and say, well, Rusty, you're the husband, and you expect your wife to submit to you. Well, 
I submit as well to my wife. I do. It says that we'll get to Ephesians here in the next few weeks, and it talks about uh, as believers, we submit to one another. So I submit to my wife. It's pretty simple. Here's kind of jumping around, but it's where I am. The whole relationship, and you've heard me say this before, there's a book out there that I like to encourage husbands and wives to read. It's called Love and Respect. And I do this in my wedding ceremonies. When I do a wedding, I have the groom and the the brides stand back and look at each other. The groom's dressed differently and the bride's dressed differently because they're of different sex. Yet, uh, because they're created differently, the husband, the man, the men want to be respected. Not that the wife doesn't want to be respected, I get this, but it's a, it's a big thing for men to be respected. To have respect from their wife and their kids and their boss and their employees. And then on the other hand, the woman is different because the greatest thing that a woman wants is love. I just They just want to be loved. And in general, I, I'm speaking in general, men have a hard time understanding what that means. I can go my whole life trying to figure out how to love Michelle. It's hard. I struggle. I fail. Sometimes I succeed. But I want to be loved too. But get this, we're created differently. We are different, man and woman. Men want to be respected. Women want to be loved and vice versa. But that's the majority right there. So when we talk about submission here, it really has nothing to do with authority, but rather it just, it governs the operation of the whole family. It's the way God intended it to be, is that the the men, and I'll say this, you can call me chauvinist or whatever you want, I don't care, because I'm looking here at scripture several times and I go, yeah, men, you're supposed to be the spiritual leaders of the house. Like, you're the ones that are pursuing God. You're the one that's setting the tone in the house. And if the wife is to submit, it should be easy to submit if you're doing that. It should be real easy. If you're not, that's where the struggle comes in. That's where the counseling comes in. That's where the hiccups come in. And you can see God designed it that way for there to be order for it to function effectively. It makes sense. No institution or organization can function without submission. If you take that out, if you eliminate organization and authority, you end up with chaos. You end up with riots. You end up with wars. You... As adults, you know the Hurricane Katrina when it came and just wiped out all authority and just chaos reigned down there. We see it all the time. Uh, we can name it left and right. If 
you think about okay, you sports minded people, the the Colts this season they're going to have a new commander on the field. Matt Ryan is going to be the commander when it comes offensive time. Everybody's going to look to Matt. Somebody else is calling plays. Colts are in trouble. Get on defense. There's one guy, probably Darius Leonard, going to make the calls. There's an authority there. They're watching the enemy and reacting to it. In Genesis chapter 3, here's, here's one of the issues. I'm, I'm going to go here. <laughs> Genesis chapter 3 is when the fall occurred, when they, uh, God gave them a choice of eating from the tree or not eating from the tree as he instructed them to, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And they chose to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil and sin came into the world and the world fell. And these are all the things that happened when Adam and Eve did that. And one of the things that God said, he said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains and you will bear children in anguish. Okay, we know that's a given that still takes place today. But what about this? We skip this part. Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will dominate you. That sounds really bad, doesn't it? But what it means is this is God has set up the man as the spiritual leader of the house. And because now we live in a fallen world, that the woman will always want to take authority over that. That that's part of the sin that entered into the world at this time. You think that it's feminism that's come around just in the last 40, 50 years or whatever, but it's all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. I'm just reading the scripture. Desire, it, it, and it, it wasn't Eve's. It wasn't Eve's emotional or physical desire for Adam. That was that was already present. She, she already had that. So, what's the desire that's to come? Is to take his authority. She wanted to take control of the situation. And this. Taking over is a—it's impossible. It's going to be impossible because that's not the way that God designed it. It's really not. Doesn't mean that one is better than the other. Doesn't mean that. It just means there's order to this. I said uh, it's repeated in Ephesians chapter five twenty-two, but First Peter. Let me read to you that what Peter says. This isn't Paul, this is Peter. In the same way, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that even if some disobey the word, they may be won over without a word by the way they, their li- wives live when they observe your pure, reverent lives. In other words, you're just an example. Hang on, hang on. Don't let your beauty consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles and wearing gold jewelry or fine clothes, but... Rather, what is inside the heart. He's not saying you can't do that stuff. It's like, but that's not the important thing. What's important is the inside. It says, but rather, what is inside the heart, the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For in the past, the holy woman 
women who put their hope in God also adorn themselves in this way, submitting to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. You have become her children, and when you do what is good, and do not fear any intimidation. Believe it or not, I know men are attracted to women physically, but there's even a greater attraction when there's this spirit inside of them that is gentle and that is passionate about the Lord. Attractiveness is not always related to sexual desires. An attractive woman to me is one who is decisive, is full of joy, needs support, leads, submits to authority. That, that's what's attractive. And so what it comes down to is just trust. And now, here we go, uh, verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter toward them. <laughs> this is what I was saying when the man and the woman are different. He's literally saying, Paul's literally saying, love your wife. Figure out how to love your wife. The husband has the responsibility of loving his wife. And the word loved here is agape, the sacrificing, serving love that Christ shares with his church. If, if, men, you love your wife like Christ loves the church and makes Look, he made a sacrifice. He sacrificed his own body for you, the believers, the church. If he makes that sacrifice and we love like Jesus loved, it's not hard for them to submit. They would want to. Agape means putting the needs and interests of others before your own husbands. Christ submitted himself to death for our sake. Paul literally commands that the Christian husband not be harsh with his wife. He's not to use his authority to be overbearing, critical, or bitter. He says it pretty directly. The only way this works is if the wife feels secure and safe in her place of submission. That's the only way it works. In other words, the man has to love her and protect her. When, when that occurs, when that actually ha happens, this, there's a selflessness that rules in the house. Children are raised in a stable environment, and the world has a model of how the family is intended to operate. I, the whole selfless thing, listen, both, both husbands and wife, listen to this. I say this too in my marriage counseling. Someone asked, Someone asked the other day, uh, what has kept you and Michelle together for 36 years? And I said this, that I think the biggest thing was I've spent the last 36, 40 years trying to figure out what Michelle's needs are and meeting those needs. And that she's done the same, figuring out what my needs are and meeting my needs. Rather than me, rather than me trying to meet my own needs and being selfish, focused on me, I'm focused on her, and vice versa. And we become dependent on one another as like we're one flesh. It's key. It's key. 
this is not going to occur by us teaching behavior modification. I know you're hearing me, and I know what you're saying, but let me take it back to the one-trick pony. This really comes down to you knowing your identity in Christ, you knowing your identity in Christ, and, and, and both of you together. What are you saying, Luke? And walking together, what? Walking in the Spirit, not the flesh. Walking in the Spirit, not the flesh. The whole one-trick pony comes into place here because... If it's up to me and in my flesh and me trying to modify my behavior, I'm going to fail every time. The only way I can love Michelle purely is because Christ is doing it through me. So it comes back to that. Yeah, if you can't figure that out, the whole submission thing just sounds bizarre and wacko and I don't even want to be a part of that. But if you understand your identity and the whole picture, the bigger picture and all that, it all comes together and it plays together. I submit to Michelle. She submits to me. We're one flesh. We work together. We do this dance together for 50, 70 years. I don't know how long. But that's it. And sometimes we stumble. Sometimes we misstep. Sometimes we blow it. But he says this, don't be bitter toward them. Don't let a root of bitterness take hold in your home because it can poison a marriage relationship. Ephesians 4.31 and Hebrews 12.15. Uh, Tony Evans, pastor in Texas, says, unless we're talking about a case where a wife is deliberately trying to undermine her husband, when you look at a man's wife, you should get a pretty good idea of what he thinks about himself. If a wife is miserable all the time, maybe it's because she married to a miserable man. If her countenance is bright, chances are she's being nourished and cherished by a loving husband. Our wives are like mirrors reflecting back to us what kind of husbands we are. Like, wow, that's pretty strong. The Christian husband and wife must be open and honest with each other, not hide their feelings and lie to one another. As as we walk in this submission together in Him, we have no problem submitting to one another. You submit to the Lord, you have no problem submitting to your spouse. If there's bitterness in the heart, there will eventually be trouble in the home. And again, I say it, the only way the submission thing works, the love thing works, is knowing your identity in Christ. Okay, now front two rows. Verse 20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Let me read that again. Children, Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Let's say this. Obedience is just this simple process of hearing. And when you hear, you have a choice to make. You either walk by the Spirit or you walk by the flesh. It comes down to that. Obedience is hearing. I think the child who doesn't learn to obey his parents is not likely to grow up obeying any authority. They have that struggle. I, 
I've done youth ministry for years. John, how many years have we gone to camp? 33 years, something like that. Uh, I've hung out with students long enough to know that that's the way it plays out. The one who can't obey authority, he will end up defying his teachers, the police, his employers, and on down the line, exercising authority over them. And that breakdown in authority in our society uh, reflects the breakdown of authority in the home. It does. That's all I'm going to say. Now, dads, here it is, Father's Day. It says this, verse 21. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they won't become discouraged. I... Yeah, I'm a dad and I'm not a perfect dad, but uh, I I believe that I'm there to correct my child, not to harass my child, but to correct them in a loving way. Sometimes my emotions played into that, and I think as I learned my identity that my kids saw me behave differently. Sometimes they still associate some of my behavior with past behavior, which you know, it's frustrating, but you know, you're kind of paying for the consequences of what you did in the past. Uh, I forget. Where's Chloe? She, she out back or whatever. What, what did you say the other day that I was mad the other day and it was just something, something like I just side heavy. She, she, because I side heavy, she said I was mad. What? Oh, I scratched my head and side heavy that I was mad at her. I was like, really? I scratched my head and sighed heavy and I'm mad at you? But, you know, she she gets that because that's probably what I had done in the past when my behavior wasn't that great. And so I pay for the consequences of that now just because I scratch my head and sigh heavy. It's hard being a parent, isn't it? You, I, you'll figure it out someday. It's hard being a parent. Uh, but he says, don't exasperate your children. Don't discourage your children. Like, if they grow up thinking, I'll never get it right. All he does is criticize. He never loves me, never. Th- this is what he's like saying. You, 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 you've got to rethink this. You've got to rethink how you parent your, your kid. How do you encourage your kids so they so they don't get paralyzed in things that they're doing because they're afraid of how your dad's going to react? I think Corey has some of that from me. Hopefully, he we're outgrowing that that whole thing. But perception sometimes that's their reality. It may not seem that way to me, but it becomes their reality, and sometimes you know that's used for control. It's like I believe raising a child is like driving a car. Sometimes I got my foot on the brake, sometimes I'm on the throttle, and sometimes, you know, I'm like, you crash. But I'm hoping I get to the point where I can just cruise someday. It's not easy being a parent. And then uh, we get to these last few verses, we get to that uh, Deflogo again. 
Slaves, obey your human masters in everything. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but work wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. It's the whole deflogo. You use slaves and masters now, and it's like, yeah, you can't even say those terms anymore. The definition of slavery has greatly changed in its origination to what it was under, what it is understood to mean today. Not only in American history, but in world history, has the distorted view of slavery uh, occurred because of its wicked practices. Like, what happened here in our country? Slavery and mastery is not the same thing that we're talking about here in the scripture. Slavery in these days was an established institution in Paul's day. There were 60 million of them, slaves. And many of them were well-educated people. And many of them had responsibilities in the home of the wealthy. In many homes, the slaves helped educate and discipline the children. It's a totally different mindset and different word that is used today as we talk about slaves and masters. When you talk about the word human, they were masters according to their flesh. So when we talk about uh, slaves and masters, you're really talking about uh, an employer and an employee. This is what we're talking about. So let me read that again to you. Employees, obey your employers in everything. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but work wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. That fearing the Lord is out of respect and awe of the Lord. Again, it comes down to you knowing your identity in Christ and you walking by the Spirit and you will have an amazing experience, hopefully, at work. It says, verse 23, Whatever you do, do it from the heart. Know, you, know your identity. Know who you are. Do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people. Knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ. That's who you serve. Yeah, you've got jobs, you've got employers and everything else, but if we have the mindset that uh, we're doing everything in the name of the Lord, it changes everything. A Christian servant owed complete obedience to his master as a ministry to the Lord. That's what it comes down to. If a Christian servant had a believing master during that time, that servant was not to take advantage of his master because they were brothers in the Lord. They were really, again, equal. They're equal. Masters and the slaves were equal. Even though there was a ranking and one paid the other and one did work, if anything, the servant strived to do a better job because he was a Christian. He showed this like singleness of heart and gave his full devotion to his master. So he's saying this, obey and serve genuinely out of your identity. Paul challenged them to consider the fact that their rewards were spiritual and not a paycheck. 
And those rewards, the spiritual rewards, those will never be taken away. Verse 25 says, For the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done, and there is no favoritism. (laughs) Anybody ever felt like they've been ripped off or disrespected in their job before? Here, Paul, all he's doing is simply reminding them of God's justice. Don't worry about it. Yeah, but they're going to keep taking... Trust the Lord. You have to be wise. You have to make decisions. But you're working for the Lord. And then the last verse I'm going to read to you is this. this morning. It's Colossians 4.1. It says... I don't know why they separated here, but masters, deal with your slaves justly and fairly, since you know that you too have a master in heaven. Heaven, masters is one of those deflogo words again. It's been changed. Like you can't even say master bedroom anymore. <laughs> master bathroom. Masters considered a bad term, but again talking about the employer although slaves they at that time they didn't receive salaries necessarily but all their basic needs were to be met and kept with the value of what they provided in their time and their effort so their housing was taken care of their food was taken care of their needs were taken care of all this was it was a contract that they signed master to a slave and so now Paul's saying to the masters, you need to treat your slaves just as well as the slaves need to treat you. You know, such considerations would radically change the attitude of the slaves to the masters and masters to the slaves. And what it comes down to is this, is knowing who I am. (laughs) Knowing who I am. Bruce, just as you said, There's been a surgery that's taken place in my life. He took my old sinful heart out that was only focused on myself, my own needs, and he replaced it with a heart of flesh. That happened when I was eight, didn't understand it until later on. Replaced it with a heart of flesh, made me a new creation. And the first thing it did, it caused me to respond to my wife differently. Once I figured out my identity. So I was married and had kids and didn't even know my own identity in Christ. I was a teacher in the church. I was teaching behavior. Just telling kids how to get up in the morning and have their quiet time and live this way if you want to be a good person. It wasn't until my mid 30s that I figured out my own identity, and it changed my relationship with Michelle. When I literally woke up and rolled over and realized that she was as holy as I was. She was redeemed as I was. She was as perfect as I was. And then I looked at my kids 
changed our relationship. I see you. And then uh, here, it all just, as I grow in my own identity and I, I look forward to hanging out with these people this week, I, I, I so look forward to just hanging out with these people. We, you know, Bart can attest that we used to do camp and it was a big program and it was like bells and whistles and and there's still a lot of bells and whistles, trust me, but uh, it's more about just hanging out with people this week. Relationships, uh, creating memories, and of course talking about Jesus. We're not going to hesitate to talk about Jesus. And so, uh, when I understand I am of great value, I respond differently. And you are of great value. You are of great value. Jesus, um, today, uh, relationships, I don't think you could have made it any clearer for us. that as long as we have our eyes on you and we're listening to you, um, all this stuff just plays out as you intended it to play out. So I trust that um, that is true. Trust that you will lead us and guide us this week, that you'll keep us safe as we travel here in the next few hours, get us to Wisconsin uh, safely. Um, I pray for... Dale and Carol at the camp um, that they are traveling back from Phoenix. Carol's uh, mother passed away this week. She's the camp director's wife. So, uh, Lord, get them back to camp as well, together with us. And just let us have a good week that we can focus on you. Thanks for uh, what we anticipate as a beautiful week of weather. Pray for our friends back here that you would protect them as well. But we love you and we trust you and just thank you for this day in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, uh, one, look, I know that I'm loved because I was given my own snack bag today. Yeah, stay out of this. It's got my name on it. Uh, 